Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your homes today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Good morning. Please rise and join with me as we read responsibly the call to worship. For thousands of years, God has been bringing people together. God has brought us together as imperfect people into this imperfect community. Come, let us praise God. Let us worship. 
please be seated. We are filled with imperfections, but no matter our faults, God is ever-present. God has not abandoned us, even when it seems like the darkest of our days. God is always there, watching and guiding, looking out for our well-being. Now let us confess some ways we prevent ourselves from following God. Lord, we confess the times we are convinced we are right, and when we are afraid to be right, when we mind our own business and neglect what you ask of us, when we refuse to ask for help and we refuse to even try, when we love ourselves too much and we don't love ourselves enough, when we give into our temptations and we claim not to be tempted, when we try to run from you and we try to run from ourselves, when we fail to forgive each other and we forgive ourselves. Forgive us, we pray. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us, and Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone, and the new life has begun. Hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Have you ever thought about how trains absolutely have to follow their tracks? They can't just go off driving through a field or take a turn to the right or to the left if they feel like it. Nope, they have to stay on their tracks or they can't go anywhere. Why do trains operation, operation on tracks instead of being free to go anywhere? Because they have different wheels. What's the benefit of the tracks? Following the tracks is, is kind of like following God's voice. When we listen to God's voice and follow his ways, it will guide us in the right direction. Unlike trains, Though we are free to choose, but when we get off the tracks, when we do not listen to God's voice, we'll end up getting stuck, just like trains do. Let's pray. Dear God, 
Thank you for guiding us along the right paths and for showing us the way we should go. Help us to always listen to your voice and follow your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's make a train on our way to Children's Church. Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen.
Please rise for the reading of our first lesson, which is Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Listen for God's word. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our second reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Listen again for God's word. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet does not supply their bodily needs, what, good is, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Our third reading comes from Romans. Listen for God's word. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of our God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you my faith. That's from our second lesson, it's James 2.18. As Christians, we are called to glorify God in our actions. The Westminster Confession says, man's chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So since we want to glorify him through our works, these actions should be joyful and not forced. Our actions also will not gain us a heavenly reward. Grace alone grants us that. We should act on our faith in order to display God's love through our actions. And in order to further God's kingdom on earth, we have to be Christ's hands and feet. Martin Luther was hesitant to have James canonized because he was afraid that people would think that they could earn salvation. He addressed James 2.18 saying, Good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. So if these actions are not founded in faith, they don't really mean anything. Martin Luther's motto was solo fide, which means faith alone. Martin Luther wasn't saying that good works aren't important, just that they won't secure salvation. The Bible also says, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead, in James 2.17. So if we say that we love God, but do not show it through our actions, then where is our faith? Actions can exist without faith, but faith can exist without actions. Good morning. I'll begin this homily with a quote uh, from an acclaimed author by the name of Jan Martel. He says, Doubt is useful. It keeps faith a living thing. After all, you cannot know the strength of your faith until it is tested. Today in Hollywood, it is not considered very popular for celebrities to talk about religion. This is not something that's favorable in this day and age. However, there is an American actor by the name of Rain Wilson who consistently breaks this norm. Some of you may have heard of Rain Wilson. He is mainly known for his role of Dwight Schrute on the hit NBC sitcom The Office, which is a personal favorite show of mine. Wilson is uh, very popular for his nerdy and comedic style, bringing an intellectual twist to modern comedy. In an interview with Billboard.com, uh, Wilson was asked about his unique religious upbringing. And he revealed that he, uh, growing up in Seattle, Washington, his parents raised him in the Baha'i faith. And so uh, hearing Baha'i faith, not knowing what that was, I, of course, went to my trusty Wikipedia resource, and I looked it up, and uh, according to Wikipedia, Baha'i faith is uh, it's a faith it's known around the world and it actually encourages and even requires knowledge of multiple religions, sorry, multiple religions from all around the world. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea is that there is a God and there are multiple ways to get to this God. And so um, it, they talk about, you know, versing themselves in more than just one practice. Uh, Wilson explains that growing up in his house, his parents' bookshelf had several copies and translations of the Bible, as well as a Quran, a Torah, Hindu books, meditation books, science books, and many more. Whenever their home was visited by a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or anyone else that happened to be riding a bike wearing a suit and tie, they were welcomed into the living room with open arms so they could listen to what these missionaries had to say. Basically, Wilson was raised with this open-minded concept, learning what every, everyone else believed. He says that this open-minded upbringing allowed him to not only find a path to God through Christian principles, but also understand why he believes what he believes. 
That's kind of important to know, don't you think? I mean, we can say we believe in God, we can believe, we believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Holy Spirit all we want. But does it mean anything if we don't know why? If you're walking down the street tomorrow, and someone comes up to you and says, do you believe in Jesus? And you say yes, and then they ask why, well, do you have an answer? The answers are very different. Some of us might say that we went to a spiritual conference, such as Montreat in North Carolina, and we, had, uh, we felt God's presence there. I know I certainly did. Or maybe you were taken to church by a friend, and then you made the conscious decision to devote your life to Christ. Or maybe you've just been spoon-fed Christianity your whole life, and it doesn't taste too bad, so you just stick around out of habit, because your parents brought you, or you feel like you have to come here. It can be difficult for those of us, like myself, who grew up in the church to maintain strong faith sometimes. Out of repetition, Worship becomes more like a mindless hobby. We make our testimonies a lot weaker than those of the born-again Christians. You know, those people that were non-believers, but then something happened and they made the decision to become a Christian. They have the good stories. They have the ones that you always hear about in the devotions and, and you read about online and everything. Why is that? Why, how come a born-again Christian story is more interesting than mine, who grew up in the church? I think the answer lies in the amount of doubt. The born-again Christian has had years of doubt that he was able to then overcome to find that relationship with God. There is more doubt in the born-again Christian story. Now, we are constantly told that doubt is one of the ultimate sins, often reminded of the Doubting Thomas story. However, in his famous novel and acclaimed movie, Life of Pi, Yann Martel states doubt is useful. It keeps faith a living thing. After all, you cannot know the strength of your faith until it is tested. We have a, an organization in the Columbus community called Teen Advisors. Some of you may have heard of it. I'm a teen advisor. I know Amelia is, and we may have some others in the room, or maybe some future ones, uh, hopefully. Uh, it's, it's a great organization, and um, you, as a teen advisor, you sign a contract every year to abstain from drugs, tobacco, alcohol, and sexual activities for a year. And um, it's a commitment. The contract is a commitment. And I've been a teen advisor for three years, and up until this past New Year's Eve, I was, I was never given an opportunity to break my contract. I always hung around the right group of kids. We always did nice, fun-loving, safe high school things. And then this past New Year's Eve, I was at a friend's house, and I was offered alcohol. And my friend was surprised when I said no with a huge smile on my face. And the, I was smiling because I'd finally be given an opportunity to break it and given an opportunity to say no. And, um, and you know, they were, very, they were very nice and they understood uh, my choice. But I began to think, what good is a contract if you don't have uh, an opportunity to break it and then show that you're loyal to this commitment? I mean, up until then, did I really have a contract? If a tree falls in the forest, oh, well, you've heard that one before. But if you have a contract and you're not given an opportunity to break it, do you really honor the contract? I think that this teen advisor contract can be very easily compared to our relationship with Christ. If we don't test it, if we don't doubt it, do we really have one? To doubt something requires thinking about it. The complacent churchgoer who never really listens to the sermons, or never even thinks about God at all, never doubts him. 
The infant who might be sitting in a children's sermon or a regular sermon never doubts God because they don't know enough about him. Doubt requires extracurricular thought. Isn't that what God wants from us anyway? Furthermore, God does not discourage doubt. If he did, he would have given us all the answers to life questions in this big book right here, the Bible. But there are Bible scholars that have read this holy text cover to cover that probably have even more questions when they were finished than when they began. God leaves room for doubt by giving us free will. If we take the initiative to find him ourselves, we can show him the same kind of love that he has already so graciously displayed for us. The best thing to do with doubt is to take it to prayer. We serve a God who loves tough questions because his answers arrive in new and indescribable ways every time. Doubt is not a bad thing. If you have doubt, that means that you're thinking, and that's what God wants us to do. We know what we believe. We recite it every Sunday. Knowing why makes it all the more real. Hello, everyone. Okay. One thing I really enjoy doing is taking my dog on walks. Her name is Cookie. She has a habit of not wanting to go the way I try to take her. She likes to grab her leash in her mouth and pull me in a different direction or to a complete stop. I used to think, oh, that's cute, but it never seemed like a big deal. Then I realized that other people found this to be quite amusing. So that got me thinking about it more. I realized that we are just like my dog. We like to pretend that we are in control. We like to try to pull off in our own direction instead of allowing God to guide us. I know that this can be a big problem for me and for many others. We have trouble trusting God. Sometimes this begins with it being hard to believe in God, that God is even there. Or maybe we do feel that he is there, but we don't believe he cares about our problems. Things go wrong and we don't understand why they are happening to us. We are faced with challenges that we think we cannot overcome and hurts that we think will never heal. We suffer and beg for an answer that we begin to be convinced will never come. On the mission trip to Chattanooga this past summer, I was talking with one of the Widow's Harvest volunteers, and he gave me some good advice. We were talking about how I wanted to do mission work when I get older. He was telling me about all the problems around the world that I will possibly have to face and all the people who aren't going to want to accept my help. Then he told me something that I will never forget. He told, he told me that the enemy wants to make you cynical. Don't let that happen. There have been times when I almost wished I, should stop, I could stop caring about the world, stop knowing about all the bad things that happen. I get wearisome of loving, loving so much and trying so hard when many do not care or when you feel like you aren't, going to, you aren't getting any closer to making a difference. You feel like your actions are in vain. But I think back to what that man said. The devil wants you to give up. He wants you to become callous and unforgiving and lose your faith. You cannot let that happen. You cannot let the pain and sorrow you witness or experience stop you from doing God's work. You can't lose hope that things will get better. In a movie that I really love, Perks of Being a Wallflower, there's a quote that states, Why can't you save anybody? There's so much pain, and I don't know how to not notice it. The thing is, we need to notice it, and we need to, we need to understand that we can save others. We can use our abilities to help others, whether it be by simply smiling at someone or changing the fate of hundreds by curing an illness. Whatever we do, we need to use our talents to serve God's people. But we make mistakes. We don't do the job God has given us. We hurt one another. We sin and draw away from God. The verse that helps me most when I'm faced with all these struggles is Romans 8, 38-39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from this love. Nothing. You can make mistakes, you can sin, you can doubt. No matter what happens, he is always going to love you more than you could ever imagine. So that movie, Perks of Being a Wallflower, ends with this. We can't choose where we come from, but we can choose where we go from here. There is no changing the past, and sometimes we are unable to change our current circumstances. We may have gone through or be going through a lot, but it is never too late for God to change our lives. He isn't going to give up on any of us. How do we respond to this undeniable and unending love? We share it. Christians need to be Christians. We need to let people know how much they are loved. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us encourage one another. Everyone needs to know that there is something great planned for them, and they are worth so very, very much to me, to others, and especially to God. Your life was worth God's own life, and that's something that no price value can compete with. Frederick Buechner has said, The grace of God is something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. It is as simple as that. You were given breath, lungs, heart, life. And what's it all about? Life's a party. It is as simple as that. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> it is a huge celebration of Jesus and love and each other's salvation and this beautiful world that we have been given. So don't waste it. Here's what I try to do every day. It's like putting on some sparkling glasses and your favorite pair of shoes. Change how you encounter the world. Try to see it through God's eyes and walk it in the shoes of everyone you meet. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, but because by it I can see everything else. That's how I keep my faith. Everything I look at, everything I understand, and everything I experience is brought to me by the light of Christ. We have to know that no matter how thick the darkness gets, that light is going to be more powerful. The light is that light is going to guide me and you and everyone, no matter where the unpredictability and chaos of life takes us. And I have something that I tried to fit into my sermon, so I'm just going to say it now. But I have my stole from my um, uh, sixth grade confirmation, and I wanted to go through um, what it meant, what each of the things I put on it means to me. And um, first, there's the uh, the ichthus, the Jesus fist, Jesus fish, and I think it's um, really beautiful because it reflects the simplicity of Christ. And um, then there's the frog because the acronym fully rely on God. I think that's really cool and adorable. And then, okay, the cross is something that um, always is really um, inspiring to me, and I'm awed by it, because it was an icon for suffering and fear um, at the time of Jesus Christ's life, and then um, he took it, and he reshaped it, and he made it into something that, like, we, that gives us hope now. And I think it just shows how Jesus can take all kinds of terrible things and make them into things that are full of grace and full of beauty. And um, then there is a girl praying, and that's important because you need to, you always need to talk with someone if you're in a relationship with them. And so if we want to have a good relationship with God, we should talk to him. And then there's a little church building, and it's important because, you know, it's really good to go to church, but also we need to um, have church with us because we are the body of Christ, and the building isn't what matters, it's the people. And then the hands and feet are my favorite because they remind me to use my resources and my skills to do God's work. And um, it reminds me again that we are the body of Christ and we need to follow in his steps and reach out to others using his hands. And I just wanted to share this with everyone because you, everything you do um, has a huge effect on the faith, everyone else's faith walk. And um, it's, this has been really important to me in my life.
Thank you. With the glorious knowledge that God always has and always will love us, let us stand up and confess what we truly believe using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From him he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. on that house, but it did not fall because it was had because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. All right, everybody, welcome to everyone's favorite competition show, Chopped. Mexican fiesta style. Here we have our panel of three celebrity judges along with our two chef contestants that will try to wow our judges with their supreme tacos. All right, contestants, are you ready to begin? They said yes. All right, begin cooking in five, four, three, two, one, begin! Uh, as you can see, um, we have some very different styles chosen here. It seems Ruthanne has chosen to use the uh, corn Hard, hard shell for her taco while Julie's using the soft flour tortilla. How do you think that will make a difference, Isabel, in their presentation? Well, the hard taco is harder and it might hold it together, but then it breaks. That's very true. It's, it's not a very stable structure. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, I would. I would say that um, usually when using a hard taco shell, it can crumble and it's usually not very executed well. That's very true. Kevin, do you agree? Yes. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. All right, your time is almost up, contestants. Three, two, one, hands up. Very good. It's time to bring our dishes over to our judges to see what they think. Ruthann, you'll go first. I chose the hard shell with beef and cheese. All right, let's see how the judges react. Go ahead and take a bite. Oh no, Isabel, what just happened? It died. Uh, Kayla, can you explain what, what she means by that? It was not executed correctly, and so I couldn't even eat it. It crumbled. So, Kevin, would you agree that this taco was built on a weaker foundation? Yes. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. All right, Ruthann, I'm sorry, but the judges didn't even get to eat your taco, but let's see how that fares against Julia's. Julia, present your taco to the judges. Here I have prepared a soft taco with beef and cheese and tomato and lettuce. 
Let's see if those added veggies do, or do well for her. Judges, go ahead and take a bite. Wow, Julia, they just ate your tacos in like three bites. That's a record on this show. Isabel, what was the difference between this taco and the first one you had? Actually ate it. That is a big difference. Actually eating the taco makes a huge difference in a food competition. Um, so would you say that the shell uh, is what made the big difference, Kayla? Absolutely. Um, the soft taco shells were flexible, and therefore, I would say, a uh, better foundation, yes. So would you say, could you compare this to faith, Kevin? Like, faith built on a stronger foundation is more likely to, uh, to satisfy? Yes. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. <laughs> All right, uh, well, great job from both of you. It's time for you to close your ears so our judges can talk about who's the winner for this contest. All right, judges, who's it going to be, Julia or Ruthann? Julia. 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 All right. Contestants, go ahead and unplug your ears. This was a tough one, but after much deliberation, the judges have decided that Julia is our winner. Congratulations, Julia. You get the grand prize of a hug, and we'll see you next time. But don't forget, the chef that builds their taco on the strong tortilla shell is the one who does not have an empty belly. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the world that you have given us. Please help the people who have been harmed by storms and other recent events. Also, help our soldiers throughout the world. Help their families as they long for their loved ones. Thank you for loving all of us. Thank you for our families, friends, and loved ones. Help us through the rest of the year. Please guide us through our lives when we are troubled and when we need someone to help us through our problems. We pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. We would like to welcome those who are worshiping with us today on this youth Sunday. We would like to ask you to sign the friendship cards located at the end of your aisle and pass it along to those seated next to you. As I highlight a few announcements. For 64 years, Presbyterian Homes of Georgia has helped to care for hundreds of older adults who need some help just to make it through a day. At the heart of this vibrant ministry is the Caring Hands Fund. This fund helps to meet the needs of those of some residents who can no longer afford to pay for their own care. For some retirement plans, that once seemed secure and sufficient. 20 years ago, are no longer able to produce, provide the support they need today. But thanks to the Caring Hands Fund, this year more than 400 residents will receive the care they need, assuring them that they will never be turned away from the Presbyterian homes because they have outlived their financial resources. On Mother's Day, May 12th, you and I have, have the opportunity to support this remarkable ministry through our gifts to the Caring Hands Fund. Our gifts will remind over 400 women and men that the people in this church care what happens to them. And I am sure that will make them very happy. I know it will make me happy. Please give generously. There are many other announcements in the bulletin and on our website, and we encourage you to look at those. 
We would like to thank and recognize those who have volunteered or supported our youth group this year. If you have, if you have involved, been involved in the youth group as a teacher, chaperone, cook, host, or any other way, please stand so we can recognize and thank you. now continue to worship God with the presentation of our tithes and our offerings.
Let us pray. Dear Father, we know, we know that the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed, a man plant in its field. That seed is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it is the largest of all gardening plants. Heavenly Father, let us give our gifts to you and let it grow like the mustard seed. In your service, amen. Please be seated.
If um, all of the youth could come line up in front for me, please. And um, please rise for the benediction. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. 
May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Amen.